0: Welcome to CTSNet To Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTS Net To Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about.
1: We're at the SCS here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. My name is Tom and I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon in Houston, Texas. This CTS Net discussion will focus on the pursuit of excellence and mastery in high performance medicine, particularly as it relates to cardiothoracic surgery. We're fortunate to have Brian Ferguson as our guest. Brian has spent his career in high performance organizations and teams across national security, technology, and business. He's a former Navy SEAL and has dedicated his life in cultivating excellence and catalyzing human potential. He's also the founder of Arena Labs. Brian, you've been involved in a lot of stressful situations as a Navy SEAL and what you do right now. Can you describe a little bit, how does that relate, your experiences in the past relate to what we do as cardiothoracic surgeons? Yeah, thanks, Tom. So the the evolution of Arena Labs was around this
2: idea is many of us think that the disciplines we work within have these unique challenges and what you start to find is whether you're in cardiac medicine, whether you're flying fighter jets, you're a jazz musician or you're in special operations, there are these first principles, we call them the first principles of high performance that we can draw upon that allow people to be successful under stress. Uh, One of the things we often talk about was surprising to me the first time that I was able to to work or observe in the, the field of cardiac medicine is it's, a, it's a, a day-to-day level of stress that is very unique and is unequivocally uh, outside the norm in society. And yet people aren't taught to understand their own fear and how to mitigate that. But when you look at these other disciplines, the first step to being successful is understanding what am I afraid of and how do I learn to
1: mitigate that so that I can perform under pressure and, and have clear judgment. So Brian, we, we talk about technology. How does, how does new technology affect training? Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges that you have in medicine is similar to what we have in in the military.
2: If you look at this chart, you can see that there are things that are cheap and that are safe. But the real challenge is if we move into this upper right-hand quadrant, there are things that are expensive and dangerous. And so by nature, training something that is both expensive and dangerous is really difficult. And what we learned in the military is that we can start to use virtual reality to film scenarios that are expensive and dangerous. And now we can have someone train in that space at very low or no cost where they're starting to get repetitions in, this, in the very rare environment of something that, is, that for an organization is, is typically gonna be very high cost. And that allows you, because paradoxically, the things that are expensive and dangerous, if you don't train them, end up being the things that an organization struggles with because they haven't been trained.
1: Gotcha. Thank you. So we hear this term high-performance medicine. What exactly is high-performance medicine? How would you describe that? so so for us when we think about high
2: performance it's really we say it's a mindset there's no secret when you look at whether you know in today's conversation it's tom brady whether it's in the world of athletics in the world of music or again in in medicine or special operations there's always there we go into training and get a foundation and then it's a choice of do we want to continue to learn do we have this beginner's mind and we we say the first principle of high performance there's always humility. And it's not the humility to not be braggadocious, but the humility that says no matter how good I am, I can be better. And high performance medicine is about creating an environment where, whether it's the surgeon or an individual on a team or the team as a unit, there's a spirit there of how do we get a little bit better each
1: day. Gotcha. So what do we do to catalyze the best in us, catalyze human potential? Mm-hmm. So we, when we think about human potential, the difference there's obviously there's performance,
2: what we do on a day-to-day basis. And then potential is, what are we capable of in our own lives or careers over the course and trajectory of that career? And in order for us to access a deeper level of our own potential, it starts at the individual level with understanding these elements of performance. Back to, again, how do I manage my own fear and anxiety under stress? How do I communicate with the team? What is the broader, and when I step into a team environment as a leader, what kind of environment am I creating that's inspiring people to be a little bit more capable. Right. Uh, and that, when we step back at the meta level and we think about human potential, we say, you know, at Arena Labs, we focus on first principles, but the beauty of today's world, again, whether you're in cardiac medicine or any other discipline, is that we live in a time when technology allows us to amplify in a deeper way what we're capable of. We can start to understand the team, and there's a, these amazing tools that allow us to, to operate and, and understand ourselves at a higher level of training.
1: So what we've done in the past and what we do as cardiothoracic surgeons, we're involved in very stressful situations. So let's get a little more granular. What kind of advice do you have for us to best prepare for highly stressful Mm -hmm. situations? Mm -hmm. One
2: one of the fascinating elements of cardiac medicine that is different than fighter pilots or special operators or musicians is that in those other realms, if you're lucky, you spend 1% of your time actually performing. So in the cockpit, on the battlefield, or on stage. In the world of cardiac medicine, that paradigm is inverted. So you guys are typically operating 99% of the time, this is the rough statistic here, and that other 1% is training. And that makes it really hard, again, when we start to think about performance to train at the edges, to push the edges and explore our own discomfort. That's challenging for cardiac surgeons, let alone for your teams. And so one of the first things we look at is how do we start to change the model of training? And what we look at at Arena Labs is, we're not gonna reinvent the paradigm of medicine, but there are there are points in every day and every operation where you can step back and take two minutes for a performance mindset. And that small change, whether it's in your timeout, instituting a debriefing, thinking about how you engage with your team, starts to get us again to this paradigm of high performance where it's about how do we get a little bit better as a team each day.
1: And what can we do to, to better uh, kind of Prepare and, and kind of stress inoculate mm-hmm. whenever it does happen to be, be, be ready when disasters eventually happen
2: Yeah, and this is the beauty of your world that we enjoy working in and we always say You know that our teams at Arena Labs are comprised of folks from a wide range of high-performance backgrounds But we always walk into medicine with the humble perspective that we're not medical practitioners And that medicine is sacred because at the end of the day it is about saving lives but when we think about how do we help a medical team get better a surgical team cardiac team we, we, in starting with those first principles, it can be very basic, but the beauty again of today's world is particularly when we start talking about stress inoculation. One of the things, so at ARENA, we balance between the world of technology and this analog first principles realm. And so we're right now we're using virtual reality as an example. We use 360 degree videos to film a real world operation, cardiac surgery. Let's take a key decision point or an emergency there. We capture that video content. And now we can put it in an Oculus Rift headset, one of these new virtual reality headsets they make. The beauty of that is I can take a young resident or nurse and immerse them in a stressful situation and start to give them some pattern recognition and repetition. And it it sounds almost trivial, but it's amazing. Because one of the things we observe is that in in the world of cardiac medicine, the only time you can really watch something is over the shoulder while you're learning. And so this allows that deeper development of, of performance awareness.
1: You know, eventually, disasters happen. you know, when they happen, what's the best way to deal with disasters? And you you talked a lot about the power of the breath and controlling mm-hmm. your breath and, and the importance of that. Can you elaborate a little bit for us? Absolutely,
2: the first part of that question is important, and we you know so there's there are these sayings you find in every culture, and it's that in in a state of fear and a disaster, we fall back to our highest level of training. And so how do we train ourselves to be prepared? Because one of the things, again, Because of this paradigm I mentioned earlier where you, if you're lucky in medicine, you're 1% of your time's training, most folks don't have that same level of repetition. So in special operations, it's about pushing someone not only to their edge but beyond. Push them to failure so so that you understand how does the team function when things fall apart. In medicine, one of the things that we really work on building when we put together surgical performance programs is an understanding of what does it feel like to fail. How do, you, how do you individually react, and then how do we build upon that and help you better understand it so that when a disaster happens, you feel like you've been there.
1: So it sounds like in simulators, you push us to fail in a safe environment, and then we are able to perform better whenever it actually happens. So an accurate way to, to describe Absolutely. the best way to deal with potential disasters is actually to go through it in a, in a controlled environment, mm-hmm. perhaps. And there's, there's, again, in today's
2: world, you don't need a lot of money to build a a fairly high-stress program. You can put someone in a state of physiological stress, have them run the stairs, just get them, get their breath cadence up, get their heart rate up. Uh, And then one of the things you asked really about, breathing and visualization, there's some very basic tools that we teach. Again, a young resident or a young nurse, learn to control that breath. So if I'm breathing very quickly, how do I take a nice slow breath and reset? So we teach this, we call it the surgical performance breath, or you know, for, for a young resident who's stepping into the next level of training, the power of the visual mind, before you go into a surgery, give yourself five minutes to visualize what that would look like perfectly, and these simple tools can be applied at obviously no cost, and they start to change that culture.
1: What are some other tools to kind of control yourself when there's a stressful situation or when there's a disaster? some practical tools for, for us to take home as cardiothoracic mm-hmm. surgeons?
2: So the, so two that I just mentioned are, I think, the, the most powerful. So one is breathing uh, and understanding the power of the breath. Again, when you look at all uh, this, a wide range of high-performance disciplines, on stage, flying a jet in special operations, learning the power of the breath, because it's natural. We know that when we're in a state of aroused fear or anxiety, physiology changes so learning to recognize that and then use the breath to control it and the visual mind is amazingly powerful and so imagining yourself even if you're the top cardiac surgeon in the world that visual mind can allow you to go to a place where you can you can get these free repetitions in a different environment Uh, but the other one that i don't see a lot of and we talk about this and it's it's almost trivial but it's so powerful is debriefing because in, in medicine there's obviously an individual technical element but the other side of that is there's a team element and the way that we get better as a team is after a performance, we take time to debrief. Hey, what could we have done better? Tom, give me some advice on, you know, the, the start of this case felt a little slow. What, what was different there? Uh, in a developing that environment, it's not so much about the actual information we exchange. That's important. But far more importantly, it's about the team getting conditioned to give feedback in a, in
1: a high-performance environment. And you talk about this concept of mastery of the mind. Can you, mm-hmm. you elaborate a little bit on that? How do you, what does it mean to master your mind? Yeah, you know, I don't know that there, you know,
2: we talk about mastery as a pursuit, less so than an end state, because there's this, again, humble recognition that in the world of high performance, it's a constant pursuit of being a little bit better. Uh, but amazingly, the mind, in, in many disciplines, the, the mind is the first thing we focus on, and, and understanding the mind and how the mind governs our own fears and stresses in view of the future. And so in medicine, we don't see a lot of that conversation institutionally or in specific programs. And so the idea is building programs to teach people, one, the power of the mind, again, to, to think about outcomes. And the power of the mind it, for an internal dialogue that in a bad scenario keeps you calm and focused and positive on, on, in terms of an outcome with the patient.
1: And is there a balance between healthy pe- fear versus fear that paralyzes you. How, do you? how do you find that sweet spot, that balance? I assume fear can be good, but also it can be debilitating at the same time. Absolutely. So how, what advice do you have to find that sweet spot and find that right balance?
2: Yeah, it's such an important question because fear is healthy, and in a way fear is necessary to push the limits. Uh, but when you, what we know is there is a state of fear where people start to cognitively shut down, uh, and oftentimes then your dexterity, your ability to, to perform a task starts to degrade. One of the things, we, we recently were working in an institution where we watched a surgeon lose complete control in the operating room, and the way that that surgeon treated the scrub nurse was was so intense and degrading that that scrub nurse, I literally watched her start to lose cognitive function, mm-hmm. was unable to handle instruments, and now, now you have a safety issue. And so thinking about the power of the mind as a tool to keep, not only keep the team uh, afloat in a high-stress situation, but to keep individuals from losing their cool.
1: Well, on the same token, the surgeon who loses control can also have cognitive uh, decline as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, so it kind of goes both ways. It affects everyone in the entire team as well as, you know, the surgeon himself. Um, Can you elaborate a little bit on, you know, we're involved in stressful situations at work, out in the field, Mm -hmm. in your training, but eventually you go back home to your wife and kids. How do you really separate what we do professionally and personally, seeing all the disasters and the high stressful situations, and going home and having dinner with our family? That's a great question. And I'll tell you that the one thing, I'm always careful to draw
2: too much on the world of special operations because, again, there are plenty of other disciplines who have these same struggles. But one of the things that, that was learned over the course of the last 15 years of being having two wars fought overseas in this high operational tempo, people being gone all the time, uh, very much like the world of medicine, constantly demanded to take care of, in this case, a mission overseas, is we learn that the stress on the family was not only palpable, but if we didn't focus on families, we call it resilience, that we were seeing institutions degrade. So one of the things we learned is if you want to have a high-performing team, it starts with the family. Because if, if the family feels broken or overly stressed, it's very hard for the individual, be it a surgeon or nurse or perfusionist, to come to work in the best version of themselves because they've got that subconscious stressor of a family in disarray. And so we, spend a, we put a lot of money into taking care of families and making sure that families feel resilient.
1: The last question is, you, um, you know, we, we deal with high performers, but what's the best way to select who's gonna be a high performer? You know, for us, we're selecting residents and medical students and eventually other co-partners uh, mm-hmm. that we work with. Similarly, how do you choose from a crowd who's gonna be a high performer and bring them onto your team? What's the best way to look for that? This is this is
2: again a really important part of I think something the military probably has has been forced to do very well. We call it selection and assessment. You see it across again. If you want to go fly jets, if you want to be in special operations or intelligence, there's a criterion on the front end, uh, and those criteria then correlate to one's potential performance in that role. Uh, what are in, some of those criteria? So. Uh, How are you able to adapt to a dynamic situation? Are you comfortable in ambiguity? Some of it's personality tests, and then some of it is actual physical tests. The reason that training is two years long in special operations is that's a pipeline that allows an individual to be assessed at a very deep level. Now, I recognize that's not necessarily realistic in training.
1: Well, our fellowship's two years. Well, yeah, so that's
2: why we, one of the things we focus on heavily are residents. Residents are a population in medicine. Uh, again, with all due respect, that aren't always given the thought where the, this is a pool of people moving through a multi-year program where they can be assessed. So at the end of that assessment, the, an institution has a very good understanding of how does this person fit into either the world of cardiac medicine or neurology, whatever that may be.
1: Well, Brian, you've brought a wealth of experiences in your background and what you've done with SEALs and special operations and what you do professionally mm-hmm. in your passion. And, uh, and I, I hope that uh, a lot of your experience are are, are translatable to what we do as cardiothoracic surgeons. We really, really appreciate you being here at the SCS and, and providing your, your feedback and your thoughts with us. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to ctsnet Net To Go, your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSNet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at Video, by following at CTSNetOrg on Twitter, or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of ctsnet to go Have a great day.